Coworking, I think, has a huge, huge role to play, you know, in the future of work because it's not just business owners and freelancers anymore. Everybody now is remote. You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Neil Martin. Neil is the co-founder of Project Spaces, fiercely independent co-working in downtown Toronto for entrepreneurs, digital nomads, and remote professionals. Neil met his co-founder Jeff at university and they founded Project Spaces in 2011 because they were tired of working on their startup from the living room. I joined Project Spaces as a member and community partner in October of 2018. At the time, I was working from home and feeling lonely, unmotivated, and lacking routine. Joining this community was a game changer. It gave me the push I needed to continue building Fuck Up Nights. I finally felt like I was surrounded by entrepreneurial people who can relate to me and who were going through similar challenges. I met so many close friends and Fuck Up Nights flourished. I'll be forever grateful to Neil and Project Spaces for our partnership. In this episode, Neil shares the ups and downs of the Project Spaces journey, how he makes new community members feel welcome, pivoting through COVID, and his thoughts on the future of work. So let's jump right into it. Neil, welcome to Create Community. Super excited to chat with you today. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So to dive into it, I want to learn a little bit about your early journey and how that shaped you into what you're doing today and how you became a community builder. So can you share a little bit about where you grew up and what were you like as a kid and growing up? I grew up in uh, our nation's capital of Ottawa. I was actually a pretty shy kid. Certainly some evolution there over over (laughs) time, but I was, uh, yeah, kind of a quiet, like, but, but pretty like creative kid. So I was into like music and movies and I did a little bit of like acting I also was actually very into sports, played, you know, hockey, football, baseball, basketball. Um, I was kind of a sort of a, yeah, a weird anomaly of a, of a child, I guess. <laughs> sounds um, like, yeah, everything combined. <laughs> what did you end up studying in your undergrad when you had like all of those diverse interests? Towards the end of high school, um, I actually got very into film. I had a film class where, you know, I was exposed to, you know, for the first time, you know, how to actually like edit film. And and then I discovered that you can actually go to university for that. And so, yeah, coming out of high school, I was pretty, yeah, focused on, you know, learning film and, and kind of getting into the film industry. Ended up taking a very different path, as it turns out. But yeah, that, that was kind of uh, <laughs> kind of the idea leaving high school. That's awesome. I think a lot of us took a very different path from what we were thinking we were going to be when we grew up. So tell me a little bit about the path that you ended up taking. How did you uh, sort of go down a more entrepreneurial route? I got involved with the student council a little bit at uh, at Queen's University, where I went to study film, um, and ended up in my last year being a manager of a store um, on campus. And that's actually where I met the individual who's now my co-founder, Jeff Howard. We met in an interview room. He actually hired me to be the events and marketing manager for this uh, student service. And that, I guess, sort of the beginning. So we spent about a year 
running this store. We were doing, uh, it was kind of like an on-campus, um, like ticketing kiosk. So any events that were happening on campus, like that's where you'd go, you know, to buy the tickets. Uh, we also organized a lot of our own events and trips and things like that. Um, so we spent a year doing that and it was very cool that year because they're sort of these non-renewable contracts. So every year a new group of students gets to, you know, have the opportunity to run the service. So we were like, what do we do now? Let's start our own business. How hard could that be? Jeff and I ended up starting a print magazine that summer and in a very long, windy way, uh, ended up, you know, where we are now with Project Spaces. I love that. I've, I've known you guys both for a while now. And I, I know the magazine story, but I, I didn't know that that was how you met. So that's really cool. I didn't know about that store. Um, tell me a little bit more about the magazine before we jump into Project Spaces. What kind of stuff were you covering? How, like, what was your goal with it? Basically, the concept was just that wanted to, you know, kind of round up the best submissions we could get initially from uh, just students at Queens, but working on a cross Canada expansion, but we were kind of all over campuses in Ontario, called it like an arts and ideas magazine. So you could submit, you know, an an opinion piece or an essay, but also artwork, uh, photography, and we would kind of just curate. Uh, so we would have like an editor at each campus who would kind of curate the best submissions. But yeah, that's how, so yeah, we started just kind of at Queens and then by our second issue, we started distributing at some other, um, kind of like the university towns. So like we went to Waterloo, London, Ottawa. That's really cool. Where were you working when you were doing this? Like what kind of space were you aggregating in and how were you working together? <laughs> it's funny. We, uh, Jeff and I were talking about that the other day, uh, because we were roommates as well in, in Kingston. Uh, and actually every day that summer, we would literally carry an iMac. So I don't know if you can picture sort of the, like the slightly older iMac computers are like yeah. kind of heavy and we would, and we would walk, like basically we created a co-working space for ourselves <laughs> at, in like a building at, at Queens where like, I, I don't know, you know, like the door was just unlocked. Like, I don't even really know how we got in. Like we just found some room and there was Wi-Fi and a whiteboard and we would literally carry this iMac there every day uh, just to have this feeling like we were, well, th- that we had routine, right? Like we were getting up, let's, we got to go to work. It's funny to think back now, right? Like, and what we, what we do today, which obviously we'll get into more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. So primarily working from home, but yeah, we would sort of use the campus as like our, our personal uh, kind of workspace. So, okay, let's jump into project spaces. How, uh, tell me a little bit about how a magazine ended up evolving into a co-working space. I think that's a pretty unique story. We, we like to say we pivoted, but I don't know. When you, when you pivot <laughs> industries, I don't know if that's exactly what that word's supposed to be. Um, you could very easily look at it like we started a magazine and that magazine failed. But we never felt that way. Like It was really just like we started a magazine. That magazine took us places. We learned stuff. And then we decided to shut it down and start something new. We knew that working at home sucked. We kind of started looking around for some office space. It's very expensive in Toronto, of course. Um, But we ended up finding an affordable, uh, at the time, I think it was a 1,200 square foot unit, which uh, was enormous to us at the time, way more space than we needed. And we just kind of fell in love with it. So we sort of signed the lease. That became the home for the magazine. But very quickly, um, we're like, well, this is too much space for us. And also, we were lucky to have some friends that were starting companies as well. Um, and so we're like, hey, everyone, you know, if everyone chips in, we can all share this office. And and that's literally, you know, the very random and almost accidental way that that project spaces was born. And this would have been the summer of 2011. 
Tell me a little bit about how Project Spaces has evolved. I, I know at first that wasn't even the name for it. Yeah, well, there wasn't a name. It was Jamil's office uh, at first. Um, but yeah, it, it was very kind of slow and organic. Like I said, it was our, our early members were kind of just our friends. Um, eventually they brought friends and, you know, we were right at, at King of Bathurst. We're in a pretty good um, location. It's a generally a very expensive area. Um, so by being able to offer you know, affordable rates. There was, you know, we were, we were finding some demand for that. Um, and then, so the, you know, the growth or at least like the physical growth, like we would just kind of take more space as we needed it. So that was a very slow process. We weren't, we weren't sort of focused on growth. Uh, it was just like, Oh, like we don't have any seats left better take the unit next door. And then, you know, we would literally, uh, <laughs> I'm laughing now cause I'm thinking about times when we would do this, we would like buy a case of beer and be like, all right, members, we just took the unit next door. We need this wall to come down uh, tonight. So here are some sledgehammers and crowbars and a case of beer. And uh, yeah, let's just get rid of this wall. Yeah, let's do this. (laughs) I love that. So yeah, that's that's, uh, like quite literally like how we were growing in, in the early years. We would just take space as we needed it and outfit it in very bare bones way. In this case, you know, we, we string this term back then called founder friendly to sort of describe what we're doing. And, and we wanted to make sure the rates were affordable. Most of our members were, you know, early stage startup founders, entrepreneurs, friends of ours, whatever. We wanted to make sure that, you know, it didn't have to cost you too much money to come in here. Mm-hmm. But in order to achieve that, you have to be very creative. Most workspaces, the reason they have to price so much higher than us is because they spend so much more than we do on your construction and outfitting your office, your furnishing, your staffing, and you know, whatever it is. If you want to go to some office and, and have a really, really expensive, like ergonomic chair, like you can do that. You know, like we're, we're for someone that wants to, you know, save money because they're trying to build a business and they don't care, you know, what the chair looks like. And they don't care that they have to climb four flights of stairs which is still the case today. <laughs> so over time, how has the community evolved? Like I know when you first started out, it was you were drawing in sort of your friends and people who are probably pretty similar to you. Um, how has that evolved over time? And what's like the typical community member like? And I know that's tough to answer because they come from all different industries, all all types of different companies. But what are some like maybe characteristics of, of the community members that are there? There's nothing about us that's very typical um, so it's, uh, you know, we've had so, so many different kinds of people, but I think there's definitely like an underlying vibe or set of values. I think what we talk about internally, the kind of like trying to put our finger on like what our values are, um, is authenticity, hard work and playfulness. I think it kind of, that sort of embodies like everything that we do. So when we started out, um, virtually everyone was like a business owner or an entrepreneur of some kind. So, but over time, I mean, we'd already seen this, we'd already been seeing this happening sort of before COVID, but COVID's a good uh, sort of, sort of point of change where this all accelerated is like co-working, I think has a huge, huge role to play, you know, in the future of work, because it's not just business owners and freelancers anymore. Everybody now is remote, you know, for some very small percentage of people like, working at home is, is awesome for you because I don't know, maybe you have a private office or den in your place and you've got wicked Wi-Fi and no distractions and whatever. But, but for the vast majority of people, as we're now discovering, you know, working from home is actually very, very hard, especially if you live in a, you know, uh, 
high, highly dense uh, urban center like Toronto where you probably don't have much square footage and you probably have roommates and things like that. So I say all of that to mean uh, our typical member is changing uh, right now, which has been really, really interesting to see. There's this whole kind of audience of people that are just kind of stumbling onto co-working as they, you know, they've been working at home now. Uh, what are we, November? What is it? Eight months, nine months now? And they're realizing that work from home sucks. <laughs> Working from home sucks. Yes. Yeah, so that's, uh, I'm, I literally am looking at a laptop sticker right now that says working from home sucks. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it, all, all, the, all that to say, it's just, there's kind of this shifting, like co-working started like out of the startup world, but now it's really just that it's like happiness, right? It's like, if you're working at home and you hate that, well, if you do that every day, that's going to be a big problem. But if you can get out of your house once a week, twice a week, whatever it is, and that, you know, that creates some routine, right? You make some friends, all of this stuff, some, you know, bring back some normalcy to your life. That can be really powerful. It has been a really interesting evolution. How do you foster connection between your community members and how do you sort of keep the conversation going between the, the different events that, that you were doing, you know, pre-COVID in person and now virtually? I mean, you're, you're definitely making me miss, you know, pre-COVID times Yeah, because, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the way that we like to build community is, is it's hard to scale this, but you know, it's, it's, it's all very manual in, in a sense. Like we, we, nothing beats just actually getting to know someone. It's very, it's very hard to sort of automate that. But I think what we're best at is like, you know, in person, like getting to know you, we introduce you to people around you and it's not necessarily like that you have to be in the same industry as one. And then, yeah, typically it's say, oh, like you've met so-and-so, why don't you guys join us at, you know, our next member happy hour on Friday? We can't do that right now, which really sucks. <laughs> we're sort of in this weird kind of holding pattern, I guess, right now where, you know, we're doing what we can to connect people. Um, the digital tools are there, but it's been, it's definitely been great to be seeing people like start to come back because I think that we're, we're much better at doing what we do in person. For sure. I, I totally feel the same way with fuck up nights. I mean, we also obviously transitioned to doing virtual events and, you know, there is a demand for, for them and people are tuning in and they're getting great content out of it. But I do feel like we kind of lost the magic of, you know, just those like serendipitous in-person connections that you just, you, you can't replicate, I think in a, in a truly meaningful way online. So I'm definitely missing uh, the pre-COVID days as well. But I guess we, for now, we got to work with the, with the tools that we have and make the best uh, all, of it. All you get. That, yeah. that is all you can ever, ever do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I do think like something that just like makes the community so magical and I'm, I'm always just so impressed by is the way that both you and your co-founder, Jeff, introduce people to each other. You have these like magical introductions where I have no idea how you do it, but you just like, you remember so many details about like both people, even if it's like a brand new person who's joining. I think it's so impressive and I think it makes people feel really welcome and really important. How like do you have any tips for for people to make really good introductions? I like I feel like I'm so awkward at it when I do introductions. I don't know if this is a weird answer, but like you have to just like really um give a shit. Like when they come in, whether it's for their tour or their first day or whatever and you know, we're, it's funny, we, we wrote a training manual for staff at one point that was like, when you start a conversation with someone, make it last as long as possible. <laughs> like, like whenever, like if someone comes for a tour, for example, and we were writing out like, okay, here's how you like give a good tour. You sit them down on the couch, you know, you offer them a coffee 
even if they refuse the coffee, you go, you pour yourself a coffee <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of times people are shy. Over it. Yeah. Um, so you pour yourself a coffee anyway, you sit down, you know, tell me about yourself, whatever, tell me about your business. And then it's like, do not get off that couch. <laughs> Funny thing is that sometimes like we'll almost forget to give the tour. Like we'll be having such a great conversation with that person, you know, diving deep into what they do and why they love it. And, you know, why, how did they end up discovering project spaces? Like why they're here? How can we help all these things? And it's almost like, they're like, oh crap, like I have to go to a meeting. And we're like, oh, we didn't even like show you around. <laughs> um, so, you know, the secret there is like, you have to actually care <laughs> about, about that stuff. It's, it's a very hard thing to fake. I guess is the point. That's so true. I love that. And when they see the space, it's like, I feel like they're already sold almost like on the community and just like this amazing, authentic conversation that you just had. So it doesn't even matter what, what the space is. That's so awesome. Are there any connections that kind of jump to mind for you over the years, like something that really makes your community magical? So what comes to mind when you say that is uh, like, you'll never see a bigger smile on my face than when I encounter, whether it's current members or past members, and we've been doing this nine years now, so that I'll see them together out in the wild. You know, like like people that like never met, never would have known each other prior to Project Spaces. I think I was at a birthday party and at one point I looked around the room, there were probably 80 or 100 people at this at this party and none of them would have known each other three or four years prior to that without having met at Project Spaces. People make real friendships in the space. I love that there's there's this huge alumni community of Project Spaces, which I don't like, you don't see that with other co-working spaces. I feel like people just like move on and they don't really care about like visiting it again or hanging out with those same people. It's more of like a transaction and they're just kind of like there to do their work and the, to form a routine. But with you guys, like you said, you've been around for nine years. I've been to a lot of your uh, different like anniversary and holiday parties. And you just like, you see so many people that, uh, you know, maybe moved um, neighborhoods or cities or whatever, but they're still part of the community as an alumni. And I think that's something that's really special as well. Entrepreneurship, no matter what business you're running is like, is hard. Those moments you're describing, like when we'll throw our anniversary. So every August, right, we throw a big anniversary party and it's always free for like members past and present. It kind of acts like a big uh, uh, reunion. And like, it's like in those moments, we're like, oh, right. Like, that's why I do this. What are some of the challenges that you faced over the years with Project Spaces? I, you know, we talked about how magical the community is and how how well it's grown. And, you know, obviously COVID has posed a huge challenge and we'll get into that as well. But over the years, what have been some other challenges and has there ever been a time where you thought maybe it was the end of Project Spaces? Um, yeah, unfortunately, yes, there, there was one of those moments, even though it's 2020 and everyone's so, you know, futuristic and savvy, like, you know, we run a kind of a real estate business, right? So it's like, unlike so many of my friends where, you know, they run whatever it is, a tech startup, digital marketing, whatever. It's like, we have like rent to pay, you know, this is like real, like enormous amounts of monthly fixed cost. (laughs) As a result of that, you know, throughout the years has been many, you know, tight months or whatever, but we, we certainly learned that, uh, you know, really good communication is kind of the key to anything, especially if you're struggling. So, you know, we have great relationships with our landlords. That's really important (laughs) for us. As a result of these 
relationships, even though it's COVID and everything's weird, we're actually now looking at expanding um, one of our locations, which love us or hate us at times, uh, we are good communicators and the landlords love that. Yeah, that's um, so important. But, but anyway, so that causes a lot of ups and downs sort of over the years. But uh, in particular, there was there was a, uh, a certain expansion project that nearly sank the ship a couple of years ago. We, uh, we hadn't expanded in a while. And for Jeff and I, that's you know, we get angry, right? Like we're, we're really entrepreneurs to the core. Like when yeah. we have like a new, a new thing, like a new space, a new product, a new, whatever that we can, that we can work on and make a long story short, you know, there was this sublet opportunity that came up. Um, in retrospect, it probably was not a thing that should have, that we should have put so much energy into, but anyway, we went full on into this expansion to open a third location. It was going to be by union station in Toronto. It was going to be amazing. Um, and Blah, blah, blah. We ended up getting totally screwed over by the landlord where basically like there's this clause in any lease because it was a sublet. Basically, the building owner has to approve a sublet. Um, It's supposed to be a formality, (laughs) Um, but there was a lesson there too. Uh, Nothing's a formality. Don't ever assume that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So basically, the, the, the head landlord blocked this sublet that we were trying to do, but not before putting us through the ringer of like, you know, what construction are you guys going to do? I want to see, you know, um, like architecture drawings. You need to like code drawings done, blah, blah, blah. Like we had spent crap loads of money uh, on this, um, on the assumption that this would get approved. It did not get approved. And as a result, so that was all really bad. Like, like <laughs> even just that, the, you know, we had bought furniture, like all, all this stuff. So that really sucked. But, um, the what what suck what ended up sucking more than that was that because we were so focused on expansion we sort of like neglected like our existing spaces and community for a little while so our sales were slipping like all kinds of stuff was happening and we weren't really paying too much attention to it until the moment that we got totally screwed on this deal we're like okay location three you know it's not happening what's going on with the business? And then we look at the business. We're like, Oh crap. Like we have to fire everybody. (laughs) Like we literally can't survive the next month. If we don't fire everyone, maybe including ourselves. Oh my God. (laughs) We had to have some really awful meetings with some really great people (laughs) that we had hired. And it was like the worst, easily the worst moment, you know, of, of at least my entrepreneurial journey to that point. Tell me how you got through those times and like, how did you communicate with your community about them? Yeah. So it's, uh, I, I always come back to authenticity and it's like, because we had to let everyone go. Um, what it basically meant was my co-founder and I were basically back to day-to-day running of the space by being back in that day-to-day role, reconnecting our members kind of like put us back into this spot of like, Oh yeah. Like, that's why we do this, right? Like it's all these people, like it doesn't matter that we just crash an expansion opportunity. Who cares? Like we still have 300 people that are working on their passion that are here because they love it here. You know, let's just focus on that. Often if I'm asked what's like advice for entrepreneurs, like the only thing that can cause you to fail is stopping like at at the end of the day. Now, sometimes that's easier said than done. Um, But yeah, if you can find a way to not pull the plug, um, get back to, you know, why you started this in the place. I, I can certainly say it was a big help for us.
So let's jump into um, COVID and the future of work. I think that's a, it's a really exciting, interesting topic. Um, so tell me about the impact of COVID on project spaces. When did you realize like just how serious the situation was and like what were those you know first few weeks like of the lockdown? Yeah, it was um, terrifying, um, certainly. <laughs> but but as I guess maybe has been a theme through this, like we are familiar with chaos and uncertainty. So yes, it was very scary. Like obviously overnight, like the spaces were just ghost towns in our nine year history. We've never seen anything like that. So obviously that was very nerve wracking. So it was really, really scary. But at the same time, I'll come back to, you know, landlord communication. Our, our goals were aligned with our landlord and those goals are that we survive and you know, are still there to pay them rent post pandemic, whenever that is. Um, so, so yeah, that was good. I mean, but I don't want to pretend it's you know, not out of the weeds. I mean, it's still, it's still going on, you know, we're still standing cautiously optimistic and just trying to, um, you know, do, do work on, on whatever we can. Yeah, absolutely. I think like something that I really admire about you guys is just how you were able to stay so level-headed and to find ways to innovate and to kind of pivot your offering and, you know, like just like change your strategy overnight. And I know there were some really exciting things that you were sort of rolling out that you had to completely like reimagine and rethink to kind of work <laughs> during these COVID times. Can you share a little bit about like what some of your membership tiers look like now and how you've been been able to just like stay calm through it all and then just kind of push ahead <laughs> well on the calmness front um i definitely have this very core belief that like you know freaking out doesn't help you like like, like in any circumstance really jeff and i again we're not we're, we're used to things being kind of tough and uncertain so that it, like we were able to very quickly be like okay well there's nothing we can do about this right like there, there's there's no action we can take to cause people to be comfortable leaving their house or to cause the government to end the lockdown or to, like nothing. This is completely out of our hands. Um, I always, <laughs> I always joke that like, I'm, I'm for some reason, not that stressed out about really big problems, but I'm like, if I can't find my keys in the morning, like I'm livid. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just, you know, I very quickly identify, like, I can't do anything about, you know, yeah, something, something big. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, it's just like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Like, let's get in a room, let's strategize. But yeah, in terms of some of the things that we were trying, and um, you mentioned we made some changes pretty much overnight, and and that's true. So prior to COVID and in the years leading up to it, um, you know, the vast majority of our um, community were uh, like business owners, freelancers, like people who were working for themselves, and pretty much needed like a permanent workspace. Like this is what they do. This is what they do full time. So, you know, everybody had 24 seven access. We didn't really offer anything else, but in anticipation, like once, once we knew that everybody, not just business owners, but, you know, employees um, for companies that were shutting down their offices and there were many in Toronto, uh, we're going to be working from home. We knew that that was not going to work <laughs> um, for most people. I mean, the reality is the reason we even rented our own space back in 2011 is because working at home sucked and we were bored and lonely and right. So like we, we we're just sort of intimately familiar with that. Um, and so we sort of started designing this thing where it was like, well, what if people could get out of the house once a week or twice a week, or, you know, maybe like maybe working from home is fine for you, like nine to five, but you actually 
do have a side hustle. So like, let's create a weekend package and an evening package and, and uh, kind of all these like, almost like co-working a la carte concept where, you know, it, it's not a question of like, is working at home or working in a co-working space better? It's what do you do? How do you find, like, what productivity or output, do, you know, do you need to produce in a day? And how are you going to do that to the best of your ability? Um, and again, if you live in some tiny Toronto condo with very little square footage and a, and a dog or something, you're probably going to have to get out of the house at, from time to time. And so, yeah, we basically kind of launched a new sort of arm of the company, which was a big experiment to just see, like, would people buy a once a week membership or a twice a week membership? Um, and the answer is yes. <laughs> so that's, uh, it's been resonating with people a lot. Um, and I think it's something that's actually helped us kind of stay afloat through the pandemic because now it's like, you know, you don't have to get the 24 seven membership, which maybe the, you know, the price point wouldn't have made sense for you. Yeah. Um, now you don't have to make such a big commitment either. Exactly. Now it's, you know, it starts at 45 bucks for a few day passes a month and you can build on that and it's all month to month. So you know, maybe you have the once a week pass one month, the next week, you've got a lot of shit to do. So you get the 24 seven and then you can drop back down to once a week, the next month, like it's all very kind of modular um, and customizable. I think like the word of the future, when we think about like what's next for the future of work, I think it's like flexibility and hybrid models where just people have like people can do their work when and where they're most productive. And I think you're playing such a key role in that. Um, I also love the slogan that you've been using or the tagline, I guess, ready when you are, especially like when the when the lockdown was kind of like easing over the summer. I don't know when exactly you guys introduced that, but I think that that's something that probably resonates with people a lot as well. Again, we're a business that relies on people leaving their house, but we didn't want to ever be like saying the wrong thing. Like we, we didn't want to say, you know, we're not trying to put ourselves in the position of saying like, you should leave the house, like no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like you feel like you need to leave the house because you can't make your sales calls or you you know whatever it is. We're here, you know? Like so, so we were trying to be very like out there being like yes, we're open and available, but like if you need us, right? <laughs> so yeah. like so yeah, so the whole ready when you are thing became kind of like the mantra. I think that's brilliant. I love that. So what do you think the future of work is going to look like? I know we touched on it a little bit, but what's your vision for it for somebody who's so immersed in the space and such a key player? It really comes down to like autonomy. So many people have so many different types of jobs and types of roles. And um, some people work great at night or weekends or early morning. Um, some people are social. Some people are not. Um Co-work spaces are not just ours. I mean, we we sort of appeal to a certain type of person, um, but you know, it's 2020 now. Co-working spaces are everywhere. Um, I think every single person now in this like post, are we in the post-COVID world now? I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> like, it's, it's one big cycle. It feels Who the like... heck knows? Um, but yeah, people are just going to have to sort of um, grab hold of their own sort of day-to-day -day life, right? It's it, it, it used to be, okay, be at this office from nine to five, sit in that chair and, you know, perform the following tasks. Now companies are going to get way more focused on, okay, how do we just actually monitor and evaluate output? Because we can't know, we don't know when you're sitting at your laptop or whatever. So like, we, that's not how we can judge you anymore. So people are going to have to think about what kind of day-to-day -day lifestyle is, well, first that they want, but also is required to achieve whatever their goals are. Um, and we're, you know, at project spaces, we're definitely like, it's like, whatever your goals are, like, I don't know what they are. You know, like you can, 
like maybe you're an employee and like you're just trying to smash your like sales target from last month or whatever it is, like you have a goal. Um, and I think that co-working spaces will become, if they're, I think in our eyes, they already are such an, it's such an invaluable tool in that. Um, and it's, and again, it's not about necessarily what co-working used to look like for us, which was like, you know, someone rents a desk and they're basically in every single day. Um, it, it doesn't have to be that now. It's like, we're, we're here as a resource. It's like, it's like workspace as a service, it's like SaaS, but for real estate. That's very cool. I like that. Um, do you have any advice for people who are um, just like trying to find or create community in their professional lives now that, you know, our, the nature of work has changed so drastically? And how can these people kind of combat any loneliness that that they're feeling? Yeah, I mean, that that makes me think of uh, so there's this like internal like phrase we always say in our project space, which is like, stop networking, start making friends. Um, and which is our sort of tongue in cheek way of, you know, like there's this, there's this very like traditional idea of what networking is, right? Like you go to a, put on a suit and you go to an event and you give out business cards and you get business cards and then you add people on LinkedIn and very transactional wish and you wish them a happy birthday once a year or something. Right. Um, whereas we're like, no, no, stop doing that. Just focus on actually getting to know people around you and like, you know, that's why in normal times when we're, when we do events, like, yeah, we do some like, you know, networky slash like uh, business focused things like to help you with your business. But then we have happy hours and we'll go to a Jays game or a Raptors game or, or whatever, go to the park. Because for us, it's about trying to foster these like real connections. You, you naturally want to help your friends in a way that you don't naturally want to help your LinkedIn connections. So I want to jump into your personal community and learn a little bit more about that. I think it's so interesting to hear how people who are building these like big communities and bringing other people together, how they navigate uh, their personal communities outside of that. So I'm curious, what are some of your other interests and passions and what are some communities that you belong to? Um, so uh, well, I miss fuck up nights too. <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, not to, um, compliment the host too much, but you know, I, th- I think fuck up nights is like the best like event in Toronto and oh, you know, I think- <laughs> project spaces loves being like, we love being a part of that. And like, I know that so many of our members go to the events and we've had, you know, we've had people become members of project spaces that I met at your events. And so I think, I think what, what fuck up nights does and like represents is so, in, in harmony kind of with what we do, um, yeah. you know, fucking up's going to happen. Like just celebrate it. And like, I think that's great. So, um, you know, that one definitely comes to mind more, more like personally, I guess I, you know, a lot of like micro sort of communities. Like, so I, I still play music. So, you know, I'm, there's a handful of people that I like get together with every month or so and like play music and stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm very, like I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm by nature, I'm sort of like a shy person, which is sort of, sort of strange, but, but I, I, yeah, I, I have, I think good groups of like, of, uh, friends and, and stuff. It's kind of how I spend a lot of my time. I'm also sitting in my townhouse in Liberty village right now. Liberty village has a very active, uh, online community as well, which is kind of cool. So how do you choose your people? Like you mentioned, you have those, you know, small groups of friends. Um, how do you choose those people that are the closest to you? Do you feel like you look for certain qualities in them or is it something that just kind of happens organically? I like open-mindedness in people. Actually, I think one of the things that I love most in, in a friend, especially like, like say a long-term friend is like, 
the kind of person that it doesn't matter how long it's been, you know, since you've seen them or spoken to them, that it's always like, you just pick it up. Like, and, and for me, like I live in Ottawa, I live in Kingston, I'm in Toronto, I travel as much as I can, I'm back and forth, you know, like, yeah, there might be times of time where like, I'm, I don't see a friend for like a year, but I love that then when we do get together and it's like, you know, you're just reminded right away, like why you are such good old friends because you, you don't miss a beat kind of thing. Like to me, that's so important. And that's what creates like lifelong friendships because like it's going to change in your life. You're not someone yeah. that maybe you're in touch with weekly right now. Like maybe you won't be in touch with them weekly, like in a few years. Um, but I don't think that should matter. Like, I don't, I, I think you should, you know, focus on, you know, living the life you want, being wherever you want to be um, and still being have, able to have these great like connections with people. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. That's what comes to mind. I love that. I totally relate to that as well. Like I've lived in, in quite a few different places as well. And I, I have friends like that who are just all over the world. And sometimes, you know, a few years pass before we see each other or, or you know, like once in a while we hop on a video call or whatever. And it, like you said, it like, it feels like we didn't really skip a beat and we did like both of us have changed and grown so much, but we still really kind of relate at the core. So I think that's so important. So my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does the word community mean to you? You're going to make me get like existential and stuff. <laughs> um, so when I think about that, it's like, or, or the, I don't know, the reason we do anything or the reason I do anything, uh, life is short and therefore you should spend it doing something you love, right? It's like that, that would be like an underlying value of project spaces. Um, life is short, do something you love, but also like be around people you love. Right. Because if, if you have interests and you can find people, whether it's interests, values, however you want to sort of draw, like draw lines around whatever, you know, community is for you. You know, if you can be surrounded by people who like enhance that for you, um, you're going to have a better life. And you're it's so hey, what does it mean? It means happiness. I love that. That's such a great way of looking at it. And it's so true. Like, I feel like community does kind of make life worth living and it really brings about happiness. So that's awesome. Well, Neil, thank you so much for joining me. This was such a fun conversation as always. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I had such a great time chatting with Neil and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. You can connect with Neil on Instagram and Twitter at NeilPSE. And you can learn more about Project Spaces at projectspac.es. And I'll link that in the episode notes as well. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media. 